Turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 3 and stand with me just for the reading of a few scriptures. Hebrews three twelve. Very rarely do I ask my wife to come up and do the transition, which is after worship. I mean, she always does a wonderful job with the greeting and the announcements. And I apologize for, in one sense, for putting her on the spot and the uneven nature of uh, how we usually do things. But I felt I was so torn between I just needed to go up right then and preach. The word is so strong the message that I know I have for this church, not a sermon, but a message. And then she knows nothing of my study this week. Some, sometimes we talk about what I've studied. Knows nothing of the preparation, knows nothing of the title. I usually put on Facebook a day or two before, you know, this is the topic. And then she gets up and speaks about the healthy signs of when I'm close to the Lord and the healthy I know I'm good when, and the message the Lord laid on my heart this morning is vital signs for the church. And so he used her to confirm to me that it wasn't just something in my own heart uh, because it's, it's going to be both a heavy and liberating message. It's going to be confirming and, and convicting. It's going to be all of that, but I would rather hear correction from the lips of God than rivers of praise from the lips of men. And just know we hear from the Lord. So that's my prayer for us this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 14. Take heed, brethren. That means those of us that are born again, those of us part of the body of Christ. Lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Some would tell us today that you can't depart from the living God. And yet he's telling us, be careful that you don't depart from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the confidence of our faith steadfast unto the end. I know I used that as a text recently, but there's going to be a a totally different vein uh, That's going to set up for this morning's message. Um, But by God's grace, this morning I want to speak to you on vital signs. You may be seated. All around me, they're departing from God. Fellow pastors of mine that I've known in ministry for 30 years. Believers. uh, Those who God called out of great darkness into his light, and they go all the way back. Those who were once soft, I watch, I'm watching them become hard. Those that used to long for heaven now never speak of it. Those that used to live holy now live carnally. And you're, you're watching this mystery of iniquity that's taking over uh, the world, preparing the world for, for the worst of days and then the glorious days of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, because iniquity abounds, because it, it comes from every direction. It comes from every media outlet. It comes from our pulpits. It comes from our families. It comes from our coworkers. It comes from our friends. And because iniquity abounds, that the love of many grow cold. 
How do you depart from the, from the living God? We can depart rebelliously, brazenly, casually, ignorantly, defiantly, experientially. One always departs willingly, never unwillingly. No one can make you leave the Lord. It's always willing. We depart by deception. The Bible says that there are ministers who, through slight, not of, you know, like magic is sleight of hand, but sleight of words, and through error and doctrines of demons, and not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God, we can be, be tricked and depart from the living God, thinking we're serving him the whole time. One man came to Jesus and asked him, he said, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And the first thing Jesus said was, be not deceived. Be careful that your, your knowledge of, of the person and the knowledge of the scripture is there. One, and mostly, I, I see people uh, leaving the Lord by degrees. Compromise by compromise. Rationalization by rationalization. Grieving of the Holy Spirit. Erosion. Erosion. We know what erosion is because we have the weather channel and we can watch what a hurricane will do. And the coastline used to be here and then the dunes were this high. And it's dramatic in the moment because they can show it the day before. Excuse me. And they can show it the day afterward. But that's not how spiritual erosion works primarily. You can have a tragedy. uh, You can have a great loss. But that doesn't turn your heart away from God it's just, it's, it's a wound that can do that. But erosion is the constant stream of the spirit of the world against the heart of the believer. And the smallest stream can take jagged rocks and smooth them over and wear them down to nothing. So I have just a few questions for you this morning. If you're a guest with us, um, this is not going to be really uh, a good sermon but I, I, because it's not a sermon. It's not, edif- it's not, the purpose of it is not to teach. The purpose is to ask you some important questions, to examine yourself, to see if you're found in the faith. And, you know, uh, for some, it's going to grieve us more. I've never had this experience in the academic world, but, you know, when an A student makes a C and then they fall apart on the floor... You know, you remember any of you grew up with that and your sister just fell on the floor and you go, I'd die for a C. I'd be happy for a C. So some, some of this will be very grievous for others. You're going to leave today and you're going to say, you know what? I'm better today with the Lord according to what, just the things Pastor John was asking. I'm better, I'm closer, I'm nearer, I'm more whole. And there are others that are going to say, I didn't know I'd slipped that far, or I didn't know I'd gotten that indifferent or cold. I often go into Publix. I rarely, sometimes, go to the blood pressure machine. Because sometimes I'll do it and I'll like, man, I'm good. I mean, it'll tell you, you know, it shows little numbers, but I'm read. It'll tell me 120 something over something. I don't know what that means, but I'm reading, you'll live forever. I'm like, oh. And other times, it tells you you're up in this bracket. You could die on the way to the car. I don't, I don't, 
know if I want to put my arm in there or not. And if it's a bad one, we usually just go, well, something's wrong with the machine. You know, those of you in IT and you ever go to anybody, this stupid machine. You know what their first thought is? It's the stupid person behind the machine, you know, putting their Coca-Cola in the cup holder that comes out. So we need to understand, and I know what some of you are thinking, oh, there was humor, here it comes. You're right. We need to understand that everything that's wrong in our life between us and God is user error. It's user error. Number one, how's your heart today? How's your soul? Is it pure? Is it polluted? Is it poisoned? Is it hard? Is it cold? Is it indifferent? Is it barely beating? Or is it beating out of your chest? What are your heart's priorities? Really? What are they? What are they? Family first? In our culture, compared to the world, that is holiness. In God's standard, it's idolatry. God first. Family second. The things I do and express ministry, my love for others, third. And then self last. How is your heart? What have you sown in it? See, the only thing that can grow in your heart are the seeds that you put in it or the seeds that you let someone else put in it. What are you growing? And what are you feeding your heart? Some of these memes on the internet, some of them make me laugh and some of them make me I don't like, I'm going to defriend them. I don't like that. You are what you eat. And I go, that didn't edify me. <laughs> at all but we are what we allow in the eye gate and the ear gate when you hear these charismatic Pentecostal pastors which I am Pentecostal but when you hear them say as a man thinketh in his heart so is he they're telling you that if you can see it you can seize it if you can think it you can become it no it means that's a reflection if I, if I see your thought life I know what your heart is. And if a man thinketh in his heart, that's him. It's not projecting something to obtain something. It's the thought life. What consumes us, what controls us, is us. And somebody say, you know, my babies are my life. And I say that often. And, and, and God knows what I mean by that. But what is your thought life like? What's your heart? What's growing in it? What's, what's not growing in it? If I were to, when's the last time you tilled it up? A tiller, that's, that's painful. But no, today in church, to be a popular, I can just speak for me, to be a popular pastor, you have to give Christianity light. That's what you serve. Half the calories, half the, half the benefit, dilute it down, water it down to be popular. Because the Bible tells the preacher, it says, make sure, Paul told Timothy, he said, make sure 
that you reprove, that you rebuke, and that you exhort. My math said 66% of the time, shake them. And in most churches, and I'm going to be judged for mine, if at all you're ever told to examine yourself or to correct or rebuke. And that's why we have what we have in our churches. God does not have to be there for us to continue because it's not built on the person or the presence of Jesus Christ. Because our local gathering is only all the gardens coming together. And our worship cannot bring from the garden what you didn't bring from home. I usually, usually love to walk in uh, 15, 20 minutes early and touch and speak to everybody. And today I was just in my office to the last minute going over this. And it was just, it was just heavy for me. And uh, when being opened, he asked, he said, you know, just something along the lines of how many of you just love the Lord today? And I was in the very back. And like two people answered. And I know that I'm not saying, this is the part of my job that I do not enjoy. But I just want to, I just want to tell you this. The, the problem with our worship services is that we're trying to pull something out of people that's not there. The problem with our preaching is the pastor is, can be serving half hay and half balsa wood and the sheep aren't fed. When everything works right, the reflexes are right. How, how, how your heart today, if I were to look at it, is it prepared for the next season of growth? Have you dug out, pulled out rocks that were in the way? Rocks of what somebody did or what they didn't do. Ready for soul. So when the least seed of God's word falls on it, growth will come. Fruit will come. Yeah. A prepared heart. Guard your heart, the Bible says. For out of it are the issues of life. One of the clearest times I believe I ever heard the Spirit of the Lord speak to me is it, it, when I was reading that passage, studying it for you really, writing out a message, was the phrase, uh, people cannot do it for you and I will not do it for you. Where I read, guard your heart, it was the Lord speaking, I felt to me, others cannot do it for you and I will not do it for you. You have the heart today that you have cultivated. Because we all have the same measure of faith. God has given to every man a measure of faith. We all have the same Holy Spirit, we who are believers. How's your heart today? Who is guarding it? And how good a job are they doing? Number two, how is your spiritual appetite? Are you hungry for the things of God? Are you hungry for the person of God? Are you hungry for the word of God? Are you hungry to be near the people of God? Yeah. Hungry. And I, I, know, I know, and again, today, I'm, I'm not looking for uh, uh, affirmation in the sermon. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just asking. That's really all I want to do. I'm asking. Are, when I was growing up, I had church every night. 
It was church Sunday morning. It was church Sunday afternoon. You had Baptist Student Union, and then you had something else at 5 o'clock, and then you had church at 6 o'clock, and then you had after church, after church something, and then Monday night was something, and YMU, SMR, ESPN, CBS. It was every, just something every night, Wednesday night Bible study, Thursday night prayer, and, and the church, people's lives were centered around the church. Partly because there was a love and hunger for God and partly because there were no other options. <laughs> there was nowhere to go. You had two channels on the television. wasn't nothing to do. And people lived in rural places. But uh, this is so hard for me. I watch ministers take opportunities like this and the motive of their heart is to make the people do something they don't want to do. And I'm looking you in the eye and telling you that's not what I'm trying to do. Sometimes I feel like the biggest failure, well, you know, over the last 20-something years, you know, we'd had 1,200 on Sunday, you had 700 on Sunday. And then you'll, everybody said, oh, I wish we had teaching on a Sunday night. And then, you know, this has been the most attended we've had in a long time. But it's nothing to have 20 to 30 people come on a Sunday. Now, I'm not guilting you to come. I'm telling you, on my end, I feel like if I was feeding well, people would want that on a a Wednesday night. And my peers, they don't have it on either. We've tried not having Sunday night. We've tried not having Wednesday night. And there's a core group of people that says, please, please have it. It's totally different than preaching. Teaching is line upon line, precept upon precept, the exegetical rehearsing of the word. And I, I listen, when, when we come here on a Sunday, you know what's the difference between my good preaching and my preaching that wasn't as good? One of two things. God's anointing or lack of it and your hunger or lack of it. Your hunger pulls the word of God out of me. When I'm preaching and I know it's going in, it's like, you know, and people are, you're on fire today. I said, no, y'all were hungry today. How is your spiritual hunger for the house of God, the word of God, the people of God? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, which means right standing with God, for they shall be filled. Most of us have snapped on the world all week. And if I served the best sermon I could do, it wouldn't taste any different to some of us because there's no hunger. God knows I'm not nearly as hungry as I used to be. I didn't, I didn't rate too good in my message. I don't know of anything in my heart that I willingly rebelliously, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do this. But I, I'm learning that over time, you can, you can rationalize any bad vital sign in your spiritual life. And all you got to do is pass it by one person, and that's you. I used to comb the newspaper. Now that I, when I was single, and wherever there was church, I would go every night. Oh no, you didn't. Yes, I did. And there's some crazy churches 
out there. For the love of God. I left half before, before it was over. But I, I, just, I just couldn't. I, for years, I would just take a commentary. And I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you my journey. I'd take an 800-page commentary on Paul's epistles and just read it. A.W. Pink's Life of David, eight, seven, eight hundred pages. I've read it three or four times. I would, I would just devour hundreds of hours. Now, single, not the responsibility of a wife, children. Okay, so I had more time. I hungered, and the, and, you'll, and I and I ate and I ate and I ate and I ate. And you can get to a place where your carnal man says, "Been there, done that, heard that, read that." And you just stop really, you eat enough to stay alive instead of eating to stay alive. How is your spiritual appetite? When's the last time you said, I, I got to get there. I can't, I, can't, I can't wait to get there. Don't stop me in the foyer two minutes before I'm about to meet with the living king of kings. I'm not concerned about who's playing today. I'm sorry if this makes you mad. I, that is not why I got up. That is, I, we're all just so tired we could take a nap right now. Who in this room is not tired enough to take a nap right now? The world is run by tired people. But if it's being served, if the, if the word of God and the presence of God is there, what else? What else would... What it is... I believe, and I want you to know that I know I pastor a good church. I'm not beating anybody up. Here's what I think it is. I think that because we're not living in open sin, we're granting ourselves the luxury of taking the time off instead of making the effort to continue to grow like we did when we first got saved. That's what I think. Number three, how's your prayer life? Is it consistent, intimate? By intimate, I mean honest, open, into me see, intimacy. God, this is where we are. This is who I am. Is it expectant? Is, is it for the glory of the Lord? This is your pastor's worst grade. Personal prayer is hard for me for a couple of reasons, not excuses. I want to explain to you, and you know, it's hard getting up at 5 a.m. for those of you that go to work to provide for your family, but you do it. So some things are harder for others. There's two or three things in my life that I prayed for that I, I begged the Lord for for years. And he didn't show. And I was wounded uh, with him. 
My, I, my prayer life's not down because I don't believe. I want to tell you, I believe that my God is present. I believe that my God is able. I believe my God is powerful. I fear nothing and no one. But every time I get alone and pray, I remember those things. Now, there's the crisis. I know that God does all things perfect, and he makes all things work together for the good of them. But there's a carnal reasoning, and it's not truth, but this is the carnal reasoning. I'm going to do just as good as if I don't ask because God is good and kind and faithful and rich. Listen, I want to tell you to your face, I have no complaints against God. Zero He's been good to anybody. He's been good to me. But as far as the prayer part, okay, well, maybe that's why we average four or five at prayer because the pastor doesn't pray as he should. Maybe I'm the lid. But I, I just, I don't, I don't, I figure, you know, when I come, I not only struggle with it myself, I struggle and say, what kind of leader are you? You can't even inspire people to come, I think I ask, once a month. And again, I'm not trying to move you to come to prayer if you don't want to come to prayer. I'm laying my soul before you. How's the prayer life? It is confident but not consistent for me. I just, I trust in his goodness, but he told me to watch and pray. He told his disciples, could you pray with me just one hour? Couldn't you? And the thing that grieves me is we do what we want to do. So, I just wanted to lay mine before you. I, I wish your pastor was a better man, a better person. And if you want to pray for me, pray that God will stir my heart to prayer more than I've ever wanted to pray before. And that healing would happen uh, because there's not a place in this building that doesn't hold that sorrow for me. Where I've laid and prayed. Are you generous towards God? Are you generous? Not just here. With your money, with your resources, with your time. Not give to get. Not building program. Not budget. Generous. Are you generous towards God? Are you cheap towards God? I'll tell you this much. Over the years... You know, 23 years, we've had a long journey. I'll tell you, in my individual life, I believe I am. I, I believe I'm, I don't say it bragging in any measure. Can't give him anything he hadn't already given me. So it's not like there's any applause. But our, our, our church would, you know, just have just abundance. And then, you know, you'll hit seasons where there's, it's very, uh, tight. This is what the principle I want to tell you. There should always be enough in this house if everybody g- just gave as they purpose in their heart, as they intend. Uh, no manipulation, no need-based, because he knows 
what the needs are here and he puts the people here and there ought to be enough always to do all we need to do in ministry without the pastor standing up and talking about money. Some people think they're generous and you got to dinner with them and you see what they leave on the table. How many of you ever did this? And said, I'm going to go to the restroom just a minute. And you have to go to the restroom so you don't lie. And then you go back to the table and put something else on. Has anybody else ever done that besides it? Yeah. Servers are like, thank you very much. And in their mind, they were thinking that they were being generous. And generous is not so much a how much as it is a why. Rich towards God. Is the Holy Spirit grieved, hindered, or unwelcome in you? The Bible tells us, be filled with the Spirit. I don't believe that, they'll say. Well, he still says, be filled with the Spirit. I don't want the, I don't want the gifts. He says, earnestly desire the gifts. I don't want them. Because we've seen some crazy, in-the-flesh manifestations that the leader in the church, the pastor or the elders, no one corrected it. So I don't want that either. But the Holy Spirit, the dove of the Holy Spirit, won't, you know, when Noah let the dove go to see if there was dry ground and it come back because it would not light on filthy anything. How full of the Holy Spirit are you today? If you could measure like an oil stick you know, in a car. Oh, my, my car's running low on oil. A mechanic would tell you, don't ever run your car hot. Don't ever run your car without enough antifreeze or oil. You just don't do it because it's the oil that lubricates all the moving parts within the engine so that it doesn't explode. And some of us, our lives are overheated, ready to fall away from the living God because there's not enough oil of the Holy Spirit lubricating the complexities of our life. Be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. If you would ask me, Pastor, in the church, what's the greatest need in the body of Christ today? I would tell you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and to walk in the fullness thereof. What's the greatest need in the church today? Oh, Brother Wood, it's not that, it's holiness. Well, I believe if I was full of the Holy Spirit, I might have holiness. Oh, our greatest need's power. And the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and endued with great power. Oh, no, we need evangelism. Jesus said, tarry in the upper room, and then you'll be witnesses unto me. It's, the, it is, it's what's missing. If you were to squeeze our life right now, how much of the Holy Spirit would come out? I'll just give you this just real quickly. I wish this was one of those days we already had Chick-fil-A for everybody sitting in the aisles and y'all could just grab it and everybody could just kind of eat and we could keep going. You remember the story in the Bible where the gathering demoniac came running out of the tombs towards Jesus? He was so demon-possessed that they would, he could break iron chains from him. Thousands of demons inside of him. And Jesus, the man ran to Jesus naked at the beach. And the man, the, de- the demons were speaking through the man. The man's soul ran to Jesus. He wanted help. The man did. 
But the demons, of course, did not. What have you to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to torment us before the time? He said, what's your name? Legion, for we are many. And in that day and age, and in that geographical location, a legion of soldiers was 5,000. So we can assume close to 5,000 demons lived in the labyrinth of one man's soul. My question would be, if one person could house 5,000 demons, how much of the Holy Spirit could you hold? We are filled with everything but the Holy Spirit. And all we want to talk about from Baptist to Methodist to Assembly of God is, do we have just enough of it to be saved? Am I sealed? Am I I saved? Okay, good. And squeeze the life and the pus and the infection of the world comes out. The world's music comes out. The world's entertainment comes out. The world's vocabulary comes out. The world's standard comes out. And then we're happy that we're sealed. There's the witness. But But is it... And I'm not demeaning. I'm not, I feel so limited. I feel so limited. I'm not, I'm not demeaning the, the sealing of the Spirit. I'm emphasizing the importance of the indwelling, filling of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. Not emotionalism. Weird is not a fruit of the Spirit. What is filled with the Spirit? Well, the Bible tells you. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. And He won't talk about Himself, but He'll reveal Jesus. How do I know if I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? Because I then become centralized, focused, the origin of my life, the, the continuation of my life, and the destination of my life is the person of Jesus Christ and His glory. That's full of the Spirit. Do you have aught today or unforgiveness in your heart against someone else? If, if so, the spirit is grieved and barely operable. Because the Bible teaches us that God is angry with you. And I know people you know, have different opinions on this, but the Bible is clear. Look it up when you want to. Matthew 6 said, if you forgive men from your trespasses, God will forgive you. If you do not forgive men, every man from your heart their trespasses, your heavenly father will not forgive you. Where does that leave me? Unforgiven. What's left? The wrath of God. And the Holy Spirit hovers away from the person that is standing moments away from the wrath of God. And the Bible speaks of a man who wouldn't forgive someone after he had been forgiven. And the king took the man and had him thrown into prison till he paid the debt. And of course, he couldn't pay the debt in prison And the Bible said, and the king released the torturers, the tormentors, so they would hang him up on the rack and whip and beat him. And it says in the scriptures, like it or don't like it, so shall my heavenly father do to you if you do not forgive every man from your heart their offenses. Some of us, it's not that we're living basely and adulterously, but we are living in absolute idolatry. Sitting at the throne of our heart, deciding who's forgiven and who's unforgiven. When that is God alone. I'd, I forgive you not because I'm a good person. Ain't got nothing to do with goodness. I forgive you and everybody else because I fear the judgment of God on my life.
Only three more. Number six, how are you treating God? Which one of these more accurately describes you today? Us. And anytime I've said you, you can add us. Just trust me on this. Preparing this is a lot harder than you hearing this. Because you're, you're, oh God, help me. Oh God, forgive me. Oh Lord, there's a good one. Thank you that I'm not completely messed up, you know. Does, which one of these more accurately describes you? Does God exist for you or do you exist for him? Does this, does this look like you? I, 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 I got up this morning for your glory. I am breathing today so that I might bring you glory. I am going to work to bring you glory. I am raising these babies to bring you glory. The sole purpose of my existence is to bring you glory. Or is it, God, I need you to do this for me. And, and we are to ask. We're to look to him. But I'm asking you, which one is more dominant in your life? Because see, if you have the first one, all the other needs are met. But if you have the do this, handle this, give this, Without the other, you just have the entitled, bratish Christian. He don't exist for me. He's not my bellhop. He's not my waiter. And listen, he, he, the idea that he would take his clothes off and wrap a towel around him and kneel down and wash my feet, I can hardly take that in. And he does that. But there ought to be a cry in us. You know, when Peter said, I, don't do this. No, don't, don't do this. And he was telling him, he was like, I'm just showing you how I want you to live. He said, and if you don't let me do this for you, if you don't let me serve you, you have no part of me. And he said, not just my feet, Lord, but my hands and my head. Just everything. Wash me. Do you exist for God or does God exist for you primarily? I know there's both. But which side are you tilted to? What does your praise look and sound like? Public and private. Gatorade had an ad not too long ago. Is it in you? Is it in you? I I loved it. There's a lot of spiritual implications and applications to that. I've been preaching 30-something years. Many of those years, traveling as an evangelist, had to sit on the stage. And you got to watch, watch worship. Ben has never told me this. No one on the worship team's ever told me this. I'm telling you from my experience. The most beautiful, one of the most beautiful, and one of the most saddest things that I've ever witnessed in my life is the worship of a congregation. I've been in a room with a handful of people and they poured their, the oil of their soul on Jesus. There were women that couldn't stand. You know, like you, you see them on their cane and got one, like one leg. And I'm not making fun of them. I'm telling you, it moved my heart. It was like the only thing left was that leg. And they just with the music. And they, it, it's almost like here's this healthy person sitting here scratching and, you know, looking around. And now, you know, 
on the cell phone or doing whatever. And other people, it just, if you were on stage, what would you think if you looked at you? Now, I am not of the persuasion and I will never be of the persuasion. And I told, I've told Ben when we even interviewed, I said, don't you ever put your foot on the accelerator and hike people up into a lather. God rejects that. That's flesh. That's manipulation. But I'm asking you, if it's in there, doesn't it have to come out? <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's corporate and I don't want them to see. You don't mind them seeing you hold that girl's hand or kiss on your baby. Or The truth is, you can be more intimate, of course, in your private closet. Absolutely. But we can't celebrate it. What does it look like? Oh, I've, I've had guys, I'll preach at something like this, and they'll go, you know, I'm, I'm just quiet. Yeah, yeah, we've seen you in the recliner at the football game. You're quiet. You're reserved. We've seen you when someone uh, you thought was going to harm your daughter. You, you, we, we, we watched as you went out to the car to have a talk with him. You heard he had tried something or did something. And reserved is the word I would use for you. It was reserved. The woman that goes into cloth world and it's by three, get 16 free. And she's reserved. A good old boy that works outside, he's a plumber. He digs trenches and ditches all day long. And uh, he gets to go to the uh, old times country buffet. Reserved is the word I would apply, apply to him. No, the truth is this. We can't give what we don't have. And in our church, what we don't have, thank you, Lord, and to our worship pastor and pastors in the past, what we don't have is we're not going to hype and pump and turn everything up to make something look like something that's not there. But since we don't do that, sometimes it looks like something's not there. His praise should continually be in our mouth. We should be loud. We should be silent. We should kneel. We should stand. We should shout. We should wave our arms. We should express ourselves fully, even in the ways that are uncomfortable to us because they're pleasurable to Him. Bring you pleasure. Ben, if you would come, please. How deep does your worship flow from? How high does it ascend? And how common is it in the courts of heaven? I'll say this again. Say this again. How deeply does your worship flow from? How high does it ascend? And how common is it in the courts of heaven? Do you think angels ever say anything like this? Like, Kylie, there she goes again. There goes Katrina again. They, some of them take their little break. I'm going to take my break to go outside. and got to smoke a cigarette on my break. Or I'm going to take a break and I'm going to go to this Katrina. I'm going to take a break. There she goes again. Praise break. You know, that's one way to keep a restroom to yourself. Get the handicapped stall where you have room and you shut the door and just praise the Lord. How many times does heaven say about you? There they go again. There they go again in the car. John, put one hand on the wheel. One hand on the wheel. Okay, good. It's not time to go home yet. 
Do you live for the Lord? And I touched on that a moment ago. Do you live for the Lord? And pay careful attention to the next few moments, okay? There is a great difference between living with the Lord and living for the Lord. God wants us to live with Him by that being motivated by a desire to live for Him. Not I, but Christ. For your glory and for your pleasure. The Lord is the prize. The treasure hid in the field. Heaven is not... I'm I'm really not stirred or moved by how many gates there are. And how many pillars there are. And that we're going to be walking on gold. There's two things about heaven. Three that are primary to me. And not in this order. I get to see my loved ones. We get to see them. Guaranteed reunion. Second thing is, after the end of the millennium, well, the, you know, and the res- after the resurrection for us, the glorified bodies, I'll never hurt again. No sorrow, no crying, no pain. I'll never feel it. No sin. Because if I had the capacity to sin, I would sin, and then I'd be thrown out of heaven. And he tells me, I'll never leave the temple again. So I'll never be sorrow, crying, pain, sin, all that will be gone. But Jesus will be there. His presence will be there. His person will be there. It's going to go across the earthly Jerusalem during the millennial reign. Someone will start a chorus and it'll go and all the languages will blend together in a harmony. And we who are in heaven, I believe the language we will speak is tongues because it's one language. It's heaven's language and it'll all sound different, but it'll be perfect harmony. That's what I believe tongues is. I believe that's the language of God. That's anyways, just my opinion. Lastly, do you love the Lord? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Love the Lord. I have a song that I taught my little girls. I have a lot of silly stuff that I did without planning. I'm very intentional in a lot of ways. And the intentional part is I, w- I want to give them all these kinds of memories of, of, of things. And uh, one of them is I just make up songs. And if, you know, some of them aren't real good. And sometimes when they really like them and they start singing them, you know. And uh, when they come back and sing it to me, it's hard to explain to you. And one of them is uh, the lyrics are, nothing I wouldn't do for you. Nothing I wouldn't give to you because I love you. I love you because I love you. I love you. And then nothing I wouldn't do for you. Nothing I wouldn't give to you because I love you. And so little Olivia comes up and puts my face in her hands. And she said, because I love you. I love you. Nothing I wouldn't do for you. Nothing I wouldn't give to you. If we were in the court of heaven and we were all given our paper today, 
and you got to the question, do you love the Lord? More than all of these, anything else? How would you answer? Now, I grew up in churches where The altar time was what you pushed toward, and then the pastor prayed for everybody. And uh, my opinion, that can create a dependency on the pastor because that's more powerful than what happens at home. It's just my opinion. But I also know the need to respond, and that's what's missing in our churches. But if you, and any point could apply to you, so I'm not asking if anything applied to you come to the front it's not what I'm asking and we're going to be done in less than five minutes everybody can go home but I have some serious work to do with the Lord at home and me walking to the front is letting God know that I give you my word that I'll deal with this when we get home sometime today it might be today it might be tonight it might be tomorrow when the kids go to school but we're going to go over this list and I'm going to plow my heart. I'm going to rend my heart, not my garment. And I'm not going to make myself perfect. But I'm responding to this word and I'm going to make myself altogether yours. I give you my word. Turn again, O oh Lord, and heal us. Turn again, O oh Lord, and hear us. Turn again, O oh Lord, and revive us in the midst of the years. Breathe on us, Spirit of God, I pray. Quicken us according to your word that's given today. And if this message was for you, I want you to just come stand to the front and we're going to pray together and go home.
church family, would you look this way? I've never, to my knowledge, lied to you to look you in the face or not declare something from God's Word. I believe He's going to quicken us according to a disrepentant spirit. I believe the wind's going to blow, a real wind. I believe that the Bible says for the life, and this is for maybe one or two here, believe it's like prophecy, the gift of prophecy, that even a a tree when it's cut down to a stump at the smell of water, it will sprout life that the rains will come and her heart will be full and if someone were to ask you, how are your vital signs? You go, I'm good I could always be better but I'm good and when you can answer, is there anything between you and the Lord? And you say That is the life more abundantly. Lord, I pray for that for us individually. I pray for that for us collectively. That we would be so centered on you as a person. Father, that we would be so exclusively yours. That we would love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That we would be filled with the Spirit and walk in the fullness thereof. That our praise would be loud. Our worship would be passionate. Our service would be consistent. Our giving would be generous. Our ministry would be effective that we, our individual lives, would bring praise and glory to Jesus Christ. For that person, Lord, that had strayed and on their way back, I pray that they see the Father running to them. They walked, but the Father runs. And He never gave away their seat or their room or their place at the table. And Lord, I don't ever want to make it about me, but I close with this. I am unprofitable at best. But your mercy in my life has been new every morning. And it is in that mercy that I stand, and it's in that mercy that I live, having not deserved one thing from your hand but wrath. You have been so good to me, oh God. And I want to praise you. And I want to thank you for your long-suffering and loving kindness to me. Help us to be ready, Lord. When the trump goes, help us to be so ready. just, just, Just ready. And I thank you for today. May it bring glory to your name, I pray. In Christ's name.